grace and peace to you, friends. Welcome to The Oak Tree Journeys. My name is Mandy Oaks, and this is The Encyclopedia Challenge Season 1, Episode 63. Thank you all so much for joining me. It's May 1st. Wow! Can you believe it's May already? I'm so excited. I bet the kids are excited to get out of school. It's just an exciting time. The sun's out. You never know if it's going to rain or... Or it's going to be sunny. It's just a fun, a fun month. And don't forget, speaking of May, don't forget this month is Mother's Day, which is May 8th. And if you missed your chance on the 20% off of uh, my Teespring store, that will come back around a little later this year. I'm not sure exactly when. Um, so if you missed your opportunity for a Mother's Day gift, I'm sorry, or Father's Day gift, sorry, I'm sorry about that. But, um, I will have another discount later on. So if you missed it, just know that you'll that there are other opportunities. Um, I thought of it because whenever I came to my desk to start recording, I found a Chewy coupon and I was about to throw it away because I was like, no, oh, my sister gave this to me last year or sometime. I don't remember exactly when. I was like, no, it's no good. Then I happened to look and I was like, wait a minute. I still have two days left. So <laughs> I'm not going to throw it away just yet. I have two days left. Um, so if, if you missed, again, if you missed that coupon or discount percentage off, don't worry, it'll come back around. Okay. And don't forget Mother's Day next Sunday. And, uh, since we have a new month, we also have a new quote. Sorry, I had to collect my thoughts for a second. Um, if you are new here, before we get into our quote, you may be wondering, what have I stumbled onto? She just keeps rambling on and on about Mother's Day and Teespring stores. I, I don't. I thought this was an encyclopedia challenge. I don't understand what's going on. That's fair. That is fair. I'm just excited. So if I'm talking a little fast, it's because I'm, I'm in a great mood. And I'm excited. So it, it's May. Very excited um, about May. But the for those of you who are new... The Encyclopedia Challenge is where I read the encyclopedia to you. Our main source is the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. Yes, you heard that right, 1909. Uh, we do go into um, a, a newer one, not too much newer, the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. So if you are new here and you love uh, learning about new words and you don't mind someone mispronouncing a word every now and then, then this is the place for you. And I have to say, I think, knock on wood, I think I'm getting better. Uh, that might be wishful thinking on my part. Um, but to my regular listeners out there, thank you so much for, for coming back um, and joining. And if you want to reach me, if anyone wants to reach me, I love getting emails. So far, the emails I've, I've gotten have been really great. So thank you all. A few of them have been, hey... If you need someone to help you build an app, please get a hold of me. No, I, I, I appreciate the offers. I, I don't need anyone help to help me build an app. Um, <laughs> and I've got, I, I do have people for that if I, if I need to go, go do that. Um, but, but if you do want to reach me and reach out, um, my email address is mandyoaks at protonmail.com, which is in the description below. Um, or you can go to my website, which is theoaktreejourneys.com. And you can select contact um, and then just contact me that way. Now, I do want to say something about my website. I actually have two websites. And um, one I don't really use uh, anymore. So look for a, a combination of websites in the upcoming months. Uh, I've been thinking really hard on it. I don't want to lose all the content from the other website uh, because there's some pretty cool stuff. And I did work hard on it. I just haven't worked on it recently. <laughs> um, so I'm going to try to find a way to combine the websites. So um, so look for that in the coming months. I won't tell you what website it is just yet. That's for that's for later. That'll, that'll be a, like a huge surprise. Uh, but that's for later. So let's go ahead and get into our new quote. So this new month means new monthly quote. Now, this is by a man named George Santayana. Now, you may or may not know who he is. Now, for those of you um, who know this quote, may not know that he said it. 
know, there's a quote that's always like, that's always, um, I'm going to paraphrase, those who don't know the past are doomed to repeat it. Well, he actually said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. So that's who he is. He's the one who actually said that from the Life of Reason in 1905. It's from the series Great Ideas of Western Men. So he actually said that. Now his real name is Jorge Augustin Nicolas Ruiz de, de Santiana y Boras. And he lived from 1863 to 1952. And that's not our quote of the month. Our quote of the month um, is actually a little longer. It says, a man may not always eat and drink what is good for him, but it is better for him and less ignominious to die of the gout freely than to have a censor officially appointed over his diet, who, after all, could not render him immortal. So there we go. And I'll read it again in just a second. But George Santillana was from Spain. He always considered himself an American. He was a philosopher, poet, and writer. So if you want to look him up, he is everywhere. I just did a quick search uh, to, because to kind of get an idea of who this person was. Because um, I really liked the quote. I just didn't know who he was. And then when I saw the, the quote about him saying, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it, I was like, oh, yeah, duh. So you can do a really quick search and he's just everywhere and he's a very interesting man. I'm, I'm not going to go on to Wikipedia or, or uh, Encyclopedia Britannica and read about him. You can do that if you're, if you uh, are curious, but let me go ahead and read the quote one more time and then we'll get into our words, which is the reason you are here. A man may not always eat and drink what is good for him, but it is better for him and less ignominious to die of the gout freely than to have a censor officially appointed over his diet, who, after all, could not render him immortal. And that's George Santayana. Okay. And last week we ended with amasia. And there's different sp uh, spellings of that. You can see my website for all of the spellings of amasia. So last week was episode 62, and we're on episode 63. And our first set of five entries are amasis, amass, amas... Thinic, <laughs> a mate and a mate. All right. And we are in the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 for all five of these entries. Oh, I think I said Amasis. It's Amasis. So Amasis, king of Egypt, who reigned BC 569 to 525. He was of humble origin. He rose to be general under a priest. The, let me turn the page, the last king of the line of Pesamaticus, being sent to put down an insurrection, he joined the rebels and was proclaimed king. He cultivated the friendship of the Greeks, opened to them the commerce of Egypt, previously confined to Necrotus, married a Greek wife, and took a bodyguard of Greeks into pay. For his alliance with Polycrates, and the singular reason for which Herodotus makes him break it off, see... Polycrates. During his reign of 44 years, he greatly promoted the prosperity and adornment of Egypt. Immediately after his death, the country was conquered by Cambyses of Persia. Okay. And number two, amass, which is a verb. It means to gather into a heap, to collect many things together, amassing, amassed, amassment, noun, a large quantity collected, synonym of amass, to heap, accumulate, pile, collect. And number three is amas, amasthenetic, so amasthenetic, and that is an adverb. It means uniting the chemical rays of light into one focus as a certain kind of lens. Number four is a mate, verb, in Old English, to accompany, to associate with, as a companion. And the fifth entry before break is the other a mate, which is a verb in spin. Let's see here. It means in Old English to perplex, to confound, to terrify. So both of these are are considered Old English in 1909. <laughs> so a mate and a mate, Old English. And with that, let's go ahead and go to break. And welcome back. Our next set of five entries are amateur, 
Amati, Amatatelion, Amativeness, and Amatricha. So for Amatricha, the spelling of that is way different than it's pronounced. So definitely check out theoaktreejourneys.com. Uh, this is episode 63, so we're still in uh, season one, and we will be for a really long time until we get out of the A's. But number six is Amateur, and we are still in the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary for this one. So, Amateur, noun, one who loves and cultivates any art or science but does not follow it as a profession. So that's cool. That's a cool definition for it. Okay, and number seven uh, for number seven, we are in the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956, and it's a mate, an Italian family of Cremona, the members of which were celebrated for their skill in making violins. And part of the reason I added um, the, this name is because of the violins. Um, the violin is one of many of my many favorite instruments. Um, but I just absolutely love the violin, and I and I love that. They've added someone who who made the violins. So we have Andrea Amati from, we've got a question mark. They think may have lived from 1530 to 1611, was the earliest member to follow the art. He is regarded as the designer of the modern violin. His brother, Nicola Amati, around 568 to 1586, I'm sorry, 1568 to 1586 made bass violins. On Andrea's sons, Antonio, they've got a question mark around 1550 to 1638, and Gerolamo, or Geronimo, from 1556 to 1630, continued the work of their father and produced magnificent violins, violas, and viola cellos. The most famous member of the family was Gerolamo's son, Nicola, or Nicola, from 1596 to 1684, whose model instrument was known as the Grand Amati. His pupils included Antonio Stradivari and Andrea Guarneri. His son, Gorlamo, or Geronimo, 1649-1740, was the last of the famous family to achieve distinction. So, that's the last of them. Unless now, I mean, it could be now. Now, that's just 1956. Who knows what happened between now and then? I haven't kept up. I'm an amateur in it. <laughs> All right, number eight. We go back to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. So we have Amati which is a district of Central America near Guatemala City, embosomed in abrupt mountains of volcanic origin. It produces con Cucuchinelli. <laughs> I know I pronounced that wrong. Um, and the district is the city of Amatitilion, population 6,000, and a lake. And the reason I'm having such trouble is it's pronounced differently than it's spelled too, but it's kind of a, a weird pronunciation. But you can look at how it's spelled again. Go to theoaktreejourneys.com and, and check out episode 63. And before we move on to number 10, before break, I just wanted to say uh, that if you missed Camp NaNoWriMo last month, uh, if if you missed it and you want to participate uh, in July, there, there is one more camp in July before the big one in November. So just go to nanowrimo.org um, and you can sign up there. If you participated in it um, and... Uh, and you succeeded, congratulations. Uh, if you participated in it and didn't get quite finished, that's okay too. Um, N Camp NaNoWriMo is a lot of fun and the community is, uh, is great. And just wanted to add that. Now, I also want to let everyone know I don't get paid to promote uh, NaNoWriMo. I don't get paid to promote it. I don't get paid to promote really anything uh, that, I, that I say in the regular podcast. My promotion is in the middle of the podcast, but I just enjoy it. If, I, if it's something I like to do, uh, if it's something I know uh, that others might like to do, or I know it's a good a good thing, I'll, I will promote it. So I don't get paid to promote it. Um, just know that I do enjoy it. Uh, and there's, and I say that because I'm about to promote something else. Uh, I signed up for a race, and I'll tell you about that in just a, in just a minute. Let's go ahead and read uh, entry number 10. Which is Emma 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 Tricha Emma Tricha, 
and it is a town of South Italy, province of Aquila or Abruzza, Altolero II, on the right bank of the Tronto, 21 miles north by west from Aquila, formerly a place of much greater importance than at present. It has five churches. The inhabitants are chiefly employed in agriculture and the manufacture of blankets. Population, and again, this is early 1900s, 2,240. And with that, uh, let's go ahead and go to break. When we come back sometime, I'll let you know about the race. And welcome back. Our next set of five entries are Amorosis, Amoxiki, Amaze, Amaziah, and Amazon. And uh, we will be in the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 for four of these, and then we'll switch to the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 for one of them. But I'll let you know. And number 11 is Amorosis, which is a noun. It's blindness without any obvious imperfection to the eye. See eye, etc. Amorotic. Uh, pertaining to partial blindness or loss of sight. That would be scary if there was no reason for it, for your blindness. Ugh. Be scary anyway. But number 12 is Amoxiki, which is a capital of the Ionian island of Santa Mora or Lucidia, built on the edge of the shallow lagoons that separate the northeast part of the island from the mainland. The harbor constructed by the Anglo Ionian government is protected by a mole at the end of which is a lighthouse. It is fit only for small craft. It derives its name from the Greek amoxia, which means cars, which is the Venetian garrison employed in bringing down the oil and wine from the inland districts to the point nearest the fort of Santa Mora, where subsequently houses began to be erected. The town has a very mean appearance. The buildings are partly of wood on account of the frequent earthquakes. Slight shocks occur about once a month. Behind it, there is an old olive wood extending to the base of the neighboring hills and checkered with cypresses and gardens. The town is the residence of a Greek archbishop and has 15 churches. The population, remember this is early 1900s, was 5,000. It is now frequently called Lucas. And before we get to entry number 13, I did say I was going to bring up a race. So I signed up for a virtual race. Now, if you haven't done a virtual race before, they are so much fun. Um, I highly recommend them. Um, I wasn't gonna really, I wasn't gonna sign up for one this year, um, or at least not, you know, not for a few months. Um, but I have been running a lot lately, um, or a lot more. And I got an email from, I believe it's called, let's see, thought I had it written down and I don't. From Virtual Running Club, because um, I've, I've dealt with them before and so I got an email from the virtual running club and it's about a raptor a raptor race so if you want to check out uh, a raptor race for you and the kids uh, I highly recommend it uh, I do have the link in the description below and it's um, www.virtualrunningclub.com forward slash events events forward slash raptor dash run but they, all, they have a lot of different options, uh, running options. There's even a, like a dino dig or something uh, with a T-Rex one that you could do 100 miles and get these really cool badges and stuff to go with it. It was really neat, but I really wanted to do the raptor race uh, for now. Okay, and let's move on to number 13, which is a maze. And that is a verb. It means to confound with terror or wonder, to strike with astonishment or fear. Amazing. Adjective, very wonderful, exciting, fear, surprise or wonder, amazed, amazement, noun, astonishment, sudden fear, amazingly, to a degree that excites astonishment, amazedness, noun, the state of being amazed, synonym of amaze, to confound, perplex, or astonish. And here's a little note, uh, there, there's a little note here, it says in Old English, it was amaze. So it was a may or may. It was a verb. Was used in the sense of its modern the de 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 derivations: amaze and dismay, meaning to dismay, to dispirit, to confound, to alarm, and had its origin from the same root words. So that's pretty interesting. And let's switch over to the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 for number 14, and that's Amazia. 
and it's in Dewey Bible, Amasius, king of Judah. He died, they've got a question mark, around 780 BC, son of King Joash. He punished his father's murderers and reconquered the Edomites, but he was so elated by his victory over these Medeans that he challenged toward Jehoash, king of Israel, who was a more powerful and more civilized foe. Jehoash retorted with stinging contempt, wishing to avoid the contest, but here we go. Here's all. Here's the but. Amaziah insisted, and Jeho- Jehoash routed his army and captured him, stormed and sacked Jerusalem, destroyed a part of the wall, and carried away to his capital of Samaria hostages and a large amount of spoil. Amaziah, after his release in 15 years further reign, was killed by conspirators at Lachish. At see 2 Kings 14, 1-14, and uh, chapter 17-20. through 20. Or no, I'm sorry, verses. So it's 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 1-14 through 14 and 17-20, through 20, and 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verse 25. The name was also borne by a priest of Bethel, and for that, see Amos chapter 7, verses 10-17. through 17. Okay, and let's go back to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary. We have Amazon, which is number 15. So Amazon... Noun, one of a race of female warriors who were said to destroy the right breast that they might better, that they might the better hurl the javelin. Amazonian, adverb per, uh, pertaining to, of bold masculine manners. Amazon stone, a bluish-green ornamental variety of felspar from the river Amazon. And um, I did a, a report a long time ago in, in college, and uh, it was about mutilation. And actually studied a little bit about the Amazonians. And they, they don't think they really exist now. It's so funny because when I was a kid, I watched an archaeological dig where they proved that they existed. And then years later, in a book I read, they're like, no, they never existed. But they didn't really say why. Uh, so, so I don't know. I didn't, I didn't look it up. I just, you know, if the, you know, cutting off the breast to, to, uh do a bow and arrow that that fit in with the mutilation part so so i kept it right or wrong i kept it and with that let's go ahead and go to break and when we get back from break we're actually going to be in amazon again so we're going to find out more about amazon and welcome back i hope you enjoyed your break I had to reheat my coffee because it went cold on me. But our next set of five entries are Amazon, Amazons or Amazones, Omb or Ombi, Mages, uh, and I'm trying to get this just right. And I practiced, I promise, uh, Embassade. So, Embassade. Okay, so number 16, it's Amazon. And... This one is rather lengthy. Um, it's about two pages long. So here we go. Amazon or, oh, there's different things. Uh, or Maranan or Orlana. A river, so this is the Amazon River, which after traversing nearly the entire breadth of South America enters the Atlantic between Brazil and Guyana. By a mouth about 150 miles in width, a mouth which, though it admits the tide for nearly 500 miles, is yet so far from meeting the ordinary notion of an estuary that it repels or at least overlays the ocean to a distance of more than 50 leagues. With its various tributaries, the Napa, or Napo, the Putamaya, the Japaro, and the Rio, I don't know, uh, from the north and the Hulaga, the Javari and Jatahi and Juria, the Kori, the Puras and the Videra, the Tapa, Tapayas and the Zingo from the south. The Amazon drains 2,330,000 square miles and is estimated to afford an inland navigation of 50,000 miles. In every respect, then, the Amazon may well claim to be the largest of rivers, excepting only that in volume of contents as distinguished from volume of discharge. The St. Lawrence, with its computed mass of 11,000 cubic miles, has been estimated to be equal to all other bodies of fresh water on the Earth's surface from the Amazon downwards. 
With this exception, which as the St. Lawrence is really a series of lakes, is rather apparent than real. The Amazon stands forth as the king of rivers, whether trunk be compared with trunk or branches with branches alike in essential features and in the area of basin. Be it is one grand system, the Amazon from its sources, from which the Pacific may be seen within a distance of 60 miles, to its embouchure, comprises a course of about 4,000 miles, while gathering its tribute from both sides of the equator along more than 20 degrees of latitude. It presents, perhaps, between south and north, a longer line of natural communication than even between west and east. Reckoning from the western range of the Andes, the Amazon is but little more than a mountain torrent, till it has burst through the gorges of the eastern range of the chain, where it is overhung by peaks that tower thousands of feet above it, but within 300 miles from the Pacific, a journey of about 20 days for loaded mules, the branch called the Hualaga is practical for steamers, while after a run of 325 miles, the Amazon is navigable for vessels drawing five feet, Growing deeper and more available as it rolls, its steadily swelling flood towards the ocean. Nor is this the remotest point of clear navigation from the sea, for the Moronin itself is estimated by Herndon to carry the clear navigation about one-fifth higher up, amounting in all to 3,360 miles. What an idea do... Okay. What an idea do these single threads afford of this matchless network of inland navigation? But it is not to its own basin alone, vast as that basin is, that the value of the Amazon is confined. The Rio Tapajos has its navigation separated only by a portage of 18 miles from that of an influent of the Plata, the Rio Branca, and the main tributary of the, the Rio uh, has a water communication which is only two hours distant from that of es Esequibo, while the Rio itself is doubly connected with the Orinoco, receiving from it the navigable Cossacuar and wanting only a canal over a portage of six hours to complete a still more useful bond of union, whose superior advantages will certainly one day lead to the necessary improvement. In addition to all this, the outlet of this mighty river, besides washing Cayenne, is itself under nature's guidance, a feeder, as it were, of that highway of nations, the Gulf Stream. Thus does the Amazon, to say nothing more of its maritime relations, bring its inland navigation immediately or immediately, to bear on every country except Chile in South America, including Venezuela, Ecuador, New Granada, Bolivia, Peru, Brazil, the Guyanans, and the several Argentine republics. This is not mere prospect. Not only has the basin proper of the Amazon been more or less frequently traversed, but also the various joints that knit it to other basins have been tested by experience. The grandest and most singular of them all, besides being explored by Humboldt, has been placed beyond a doubt by the denizens of the country. The barge builders of San Carlos at the entrance of the Cossacuar into the Rio have long sent vessels not only down the Rio to Para on the lower Amazon, but likewise up the Cossacuar to Angostura on the lower Orinoco, thus solving in their own way the problem which systematic geographers were elsewhere deriding as worse than a fable, as a sheer impossibility. It was not till 1867 that the navigation of the Amazon was thrown open, but now regular lines of streamers, steamers ply between its mouth and Yorgamas on the Hualaga. The most important exports sent down the Amazon are India rubber, cocoa, cotton, nuts, copaiba, palm fiber, hides, sarsaparilla, farina, tonka beans, ornato, and tobacco. Other productions of the countries watered by the Amazon Countries well fitted to become the garden of the world are coffee, sugar, maize, rice, indigo, grapes, bananas, cabinet woods, building timber, game, fish, and precious metals. Steamboat navigation began on the Amazon in 1853. In that year, the Amazon Navigation Company, a Brazilian commercial association, association fostered by the government, sent its first steamer from Para, the maritime emporium of the Amazon, to Nato in Peru. Since then, the income of the formerly dull town of Para has risen from 250000 to about 2500000 That's a lot. The company had, in 1883, 33 steamers. The Peruvian government also has, has also a line of steamers on its reach of the Amazon. The name Amazon is said to be from an Indian word meaning boat destroyer, from the dangerous bore in the stream. 
Moranen was an explorer who visited the river in 1503 and Oriana sailed on it in 1540. The wonderful discoveries made by the late Professor Agassiz in 1865 and 1866 and the fauna of the waters of the Amazon have proved what he himself calls a, quote, a true, rev- rev- <laughs> a true revelation for science, end quote. Their importance will be seen by contrast. The number of species of fish on the whole globe known to Linnaeus about a century ago was 300. In 1840, Captain Wilkes collected only 600 species in a voyage around the world with three ships in an expedition lasting four years. But Augustus saw in five months on the Amazon alone 1,300 species of fish, nearly 1,000 of them new, and about 20 new genera. The Vaca Marina, the largest fish inhabiting fresh waters, and the Acara, which carries its young in its mouth, especially when there is danger, are denizens of the Amazon. C. A Journey in Brazil by Agassiz in 1868, The River Amazon by W. H. Edwards, 15,000 Miles on the A. Oh, on the Amazon by C. B. Brown, Brazil, the Amazons, and the Coast by H. H. Smith in 1880, Between the Amazon and the Andes by Mrs. Mulhall. Oh, cool, Mrs. Mulhall in 1882. Okay, so that was a mouthful. <laughs> So, but let's move on to number 17, which is Amazons or Amazones. And with this one, we are actually going to read from both the New Imperial Encyclopedia and the Encyclopedia Americana. Just need to get over there. And, okay. All right. I'm there and I wanted to make sure I had highlighted it and I did. Okay, so Amazons or Amazones, and this is, we're going to start with the 1909. According to a very ancient tradition, a nation, so here we go. So it wasn't enough for them to say it in the first Amazon definition, but here's the second, here's another one. So it looks like they're going to give us more information about it. According to a very ancient, ancient tradition, a nation of women who suffered no men to remain among them, but marched to battle under the command of their queen, and formed for a long time a formidable state. They held occasional intercourse with the men of the neighboring states. If boys were born to them, they either sent them to their fathers or killed them. But they brought up the girls for war and burned off their right breasts that they might not be prevented from bending the bow. From this custom they received the name of Amazon, that is, breastless. Such is the ordinary tale, the origin of which is perhaps to be accounted for by supposing that vague reports exaggerated and poetically embellished had reached the Greeks of the peculiar way in which the women of various Caucasian districts lived, performing military duties which elsewhere devolved on husbands. Ebers and others insist that the Greek Im- imagination made the institution of armed priestesses, as found amongst various races, into nations of women warriors. In later times, however, the word Amazon has been supposed to have some connection with the Circassian word Maza, signifying the moon as if the myth of the Amazons had taken its origin in the worship of the moon, which prevailed on the borders of Asia. Three nations of Amazons have been mentioned by the ancients. One, the Asiatic Amazons, from whom the others branched off. These dwelt on the shores of the Black Sea and among the mountains of the Caucasus, or Caucasus, especially in the neighborhood of the modern Trebizond on the river Thermodon, now Terma. They are said to have at one time subdued the whole of Asia and to have built Smyrna, Ephesus, Cuma, and other cities. Their queen, Hippolyte, or according to others, Antiope, was killed by Hercules as the ninth of the labors imposed on him by Eurystheus consisted in taking from her the shoulder belt bestowed on her by Mars. On one of their expeditions, the Amazons came to Attica, the time of Theseus. They also marched under the command of their queen, Penthesilia, to assist Priam against the Greeks. They even appear upon the scene in the time of Alexander the Great, when their queen, Thalestresis, paid him a visit in order to become a mother by the conqueror of Asia. Number two, the Scythian Amazons, who in after times married among the neighboring Scythians and withdrew further into Sarmatia. Number three, the African Amazons, who under the command of their queen, Myrna, subdued the Gor... Gorgons and Atlantis marched through Egypt and Arabia and founded their capital on the lake Tritonis, but were then annihilated by Hercules. See Stricker, the Amazonian in Sage and 
Ricochette, Berlin, 1873. Okay, let's go to the... <laughs> the... Oh, man, I just had a... The Encyclopedia Americana. Sorry, I completely forgot what it was called all of a sudden. Okay, Amazons. In Greek legend, a race of women warriors whose kingdom lay on the southern shores of the Exian or Black Sea... Headed by their queens, they fought against Greece and other states and extended their empire as far as the Caspian Sea. No men were allowed within their borders, and when they wished to have children, they visited other tribes. Only the girls were reared. Amazons were, are represented in Greek art as beautiful women armed for battle, mounted on fiery horses, and trampling on their fallen foes. Legends without number cluster around the names of the Amazon queens. Philastrus disdained any lesser mate than Alexander the Great, Penthesilia led her hosts against the Greeks in the Trojan War, and dying at the hand of Achilles, drew tears of pity from her slayer. Antiope, won in battle by Theseus, later fought at his side when he undertook a second expedition against the Amazons to help Hercules, or Heracles, to obtain the girdle of Queen Hippolyte, her sister. Whether the Amazons really existed remains doubtful. Diodorus Siculus speaks of a race of African Amazons, prototypes perhaps of the women warriors of the Hame, and again, it, it's uh, I get from my studies in the past. I've gotten, as I mentioned, conflicting evidences. So it's very conflicting. But there are female warriors in every culture. Um, I remember reading one about, I believe it was a samurai warrior who uh, who won every single battle she fought, except from one man and he was so impressed with her he married her and uh i don't remember her name i've got a whole uh, i've got a whole book on it i think i've got about three or four books on female warriors or women warriors um that talk about it but it's, it's a pretty interesting um i i think it's pretty interesting um that you've got all this culture that talks about it and and stuff but no one really knows if it's true or not i just thought that was that, that's pretty cool that always fascinated me okay we'll move on because i could talk about that for a really really long time and you're not here for that you're not here to listen to me ramble on you're here to listen uh to the encyclopedias and gain and hopefully gain some knowledge okay and number 18 we're going back to the new imperial encyclopedia and dictionary so number 18 is omb or ombi and it's a prefix signifying both about. So it's Latin or Greek. So I've never heard that. Homb or ombi. So it's signifying both or about. No, I, I guess I get that. Okay. So let's move on to number 19. And I think I called it a mages. I missed a letter. It's I didn't even notice that until I glanced up. So it's Embages, embages, noun, and it means in Old English, a circuit of words, a circumlocution, circumlocution. So it's Old English, so embages or embages, and it's spelled really weird. Embages in Old English is a circuit of words or a circumlocution. Wow. <laughs> Alright, and number 20 is another Old English word. And remember, whenever we say Old English, we're talking... A 1909 encyclopedia calls it Old English. So that's how old this is. So number 20, before break, is embassade. So embassade or embassage, noun. In Old English, it's an embassy. See also ambassador, which we are going to see when we come back from break. And with that, let's go ahead and go to break. And welcome back. Our next set of five entries are Ambassador, Embato, or Asiento de Embato, Amber, Amber, and Amber. <laughs> okay, and we are going to be in the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 for all five of these except on number 24, we're going to read from both. Okay, so ambassador is first, and that is entry number 21. It's a noun, 
It's a person sent by a sovereign to represent him in a foreign country. Ambassador address, noun, a woman thus sent, or a wife of an ambassador. Ambassador real, pertaining to, synonym of ambassador, envoy, plenipotentiary, deputy, minister, legate, nuncia. Ambassador denotes properly a diplomatic minister of the highest order, an officer sent by one sovereign power or government to another to treat on affairs of state. In a less restricted sense, writers on public affairs, see, writers on public law apply the term to every kind of diplomatic minister or agent. The credentials of an ambassador are addressed directly by his own sovereign or government to the sovereign or head of the government to whom he is sent and with whom he has privilege of personal communication. In all his diplomatic duties, an ambassador is understood to represent not only the affairs, but the dignity and power of his sovereign or governmental head. And by the law of nations, he has many important rights and privileges, the chief of which is exemption from the municipal laws of the nation in which he is to exercise his functions, an exemption extended to all his suite, or suit, including persons employed by him in diplomatic services, also his wife, chaplain, and household. It has been disputed among legal writers whether this exemption extends to all crimes, including mala in se, an example, murder, or whether it is limited to offenses, mala prohibita, example, acquainting. But now, in the general practice, at least of Europe, it is considered that the security of an ambassador in conducting the intercourse of nations is more important than the punishment of a particular crime. Now, this is early 1900s, so... Laws change, as we know, so please don't don't ever, and I know I've said this again, uh, but I'm going to repeat myself, don't ever use <laughs> any of these encyclopedias I read from as legal documents, okay? This is just history. We're learning about history. So please do not say, well, Mandy on the Oak Tree Journeys just read on Season 1, Episode 63, that an ambassador has a right to do whatever they want, and there's there are no legal rep repercussions. No not saying that at all, and I think there should be legal repercussions if, if you are committing a crime, knowingly committing a crime. Um, okay, but, okay, so let's continue. I just wanted to add that in there. Um, but through an ambassador is not amenable to any tribunal of the country in which he resides officially. He cannot misconduct himself with impunity. He must respect, here we go, he must respect the laws and customs of the country and if he violates these, he may be complained of to the court or government, which he represents, or if the offense is very serious, his recall may be demanded, or the governmental head to whom he has given such offense may dismiss him prenuptially, and further require that he be brought to trial in his own country. But if an ambassador is guilty of an offense which threatens the safety of the state, he loses his privileges of diplomatic exemption. Some other privileges are generally allowed to ambassadors. They are permitted free exercise of their religion. They are in general exempted from direct taxation. They have special letter bags, and they are usually allowed to import their goods without paying custom house duties, a privilege, however, which being liable to abuse has sometimes been limited. So I can understand that. The ambassadors are of two kinds. First, those who reside regularly at the court to which they are accredited, a class originating in modern times, Secondly, those sent on special occasions receiving the designation Ambassadors Extraordinary. The British diplomat, diplomatic corps includes only five ambassadors in the restricted sense, accredited to the courts of Vienna, Paris, St. Petersburg, Constant, Constantinople, and Berlin. Inferior diplomatic agents receive the titles Charge d'Affaires, Minister Plenipotentiary, see Minister in Diplom Diplomacy, Diplomacy, sorry. I know I was like, wait a minute, I know that word. Come on, Mandy. Plenipotentiary uh, or envoy. See, diplomacy, embassy. Okay, there we go. The U.S. Congress in 1893 authorized the president to raise our foreign ministers to the rank of ambassadors under certain conditions. See, minister, comma, in diplomacy. Okay, there we go. So number 22 Embato, Embato, or Asiento de Embato, it's a town of Ecuador on the northeast slope of Chimborosa, 66 miles south of Quito, 8,859 feet above the sea. It has active trade in grain, sugar, and cocachinilia 
products of the region, population 12,000. I really need to uh, learn that pronunciation, <laughs> especially since it keeps showing up. All right, number 23, amber. The first amber. Noun, a fossil resin with a tinge of yellow, semi-transparent, see below, adjective made of amber, amber seed, musk seed, amber pine, the tree producing amber, amber grease, noun, ash-colored waxy substance found floating on seas frequented by sperm whales, see below, imbrine, noun, a crystalline substance soluble in alcohol found in ambergris, embryic, Denoting an acid formed by digesting embryon in in okay embryon amber in nitric acid. Note, amber and and bar seem to have been applied first to the gray amber or odiferous secretion of certain fish, and then transferred to the yellow or fossil amber. Okay, and number twenty four amber again. And. Uh, Okay, now this is the one we're going to read from both. So we'll read from the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 first, and then we'll read from the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. Okay, amber, a substance analogous to the vegetable resins and in all probability derived from an extinct coniferous tree, although now appearing like coal in connection with beds of which it is usually found as a product of the mineral kingdom. It is usually a pale yellow color, sometimes reddish or brownish, is sometimes transparent, sometimes almost opaque. It occurs in round, irregular lumps, grains, or drops. As a perfectly caudial fracture, is slightly brittle, emits an agreeable odor when rubbed, melts at 550 degrees Fahrenheit, and burns with a bright flame and pleasant smell. It becomes negatively electric by friction, and possesses the pro this property to in a high degree, which indeed was first observed in it. And in the term, electricity is derived from electron and the Greek name of amber. Well, that's neat. The specific gravity of amber is one, let's say one dot zero dash one dot one. Uh, it is ultimately composed of carbon 79, hydrogen 10.5, and oxygen 10.5. An acid called succinic acid, named from the Latin succinum amber, is obtained from it. Amber had formerly a high reputation as a medicine, but the virtues ascribed to it were almost entirely imaginary. An antispasmatic volatile oil is obtained from it by distillation. Amber is employed in the arts for the manufacture of many ornamental articles and for the preparation of a kind of varnish. Great quantities are consumed in Mohammedan worship at Mecca, and it is great it is in great demand throughout the East. It was obtained by the ancients from the coasts of the Baltic Sea, where it is still found, especially between Konigsberg and Memel, in greater abundance than anywhere else in the world. It is there partly cast up by the sea, partly obtained by means of nets, and partly dug out of wood by bituminous wood. It is found elsewhere also in coal and occasionally in diluvial deposits, as in the gravel near London, but it is very rare in Britain. It is obtained in small quantities from the coasts of Sicily and the Adriatic and is found in different parts of Europe and Siberia, Greenland, etc. It sometimes, okay, so here we go. This is the point, this is the part uh, I was like, okay, come on, let's get to it. Uh, <laughs> all right, for those of you who watched Jurassic Park, the original Jurassic Park, not, not necessarily Jurassic World, but that too, but the original Jurassic Park, you already know about this. Um... But it sometimes encloses insects of species which no longer exist. Leaves also have been found enclosed in it. Specimens which contain insects or leaves being much valued, fictitious ones are often manufactured and imposed upon collectors. According to an ancient fable, Amber is the tears of the sisters of Phaethon, who after his death were changed into poplars. The ancients set an immense value upon it. Pieces of Amber have occasionally been found of 12 or 13 pounds weight, but such pieces are extremely rare. Okay, so let's go ahead and read from the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. Now, they actually have a separate section called Amber Insects. Um, and I was going to do it separately, but then I realized, well, the 1909 briefly mentions it. But let's see what they've got to say. It, it's not much. 
Um, but I thought it would be pretty cool because of Jurassic Park and because Michael Crichton made it uh, very popular. So amber insects. The great majority of the fossil insects in the Oligocene or tertiary period has been obtained from the amber of Baltic shores and Prussia, upon which they had rested in life, stuck fast, and then been overflowed. The most fragile and delicate flies, moths, and many other insects besides spiders, mites, centipedes, and crustacea are preserved in this gum or resin, which was evidently formed in the same manner as gum copal, also a late tertiary or quaternary gum. So there, that's just a little bit more about it, about the insect part of it. Okay, and number 25 before break, amber again. So uh, we have three ambers. This amber is different though. It's a decayed city in the Rajput state of Jaipur, India, four miles north by east from Jaipur, 26 degrees, 59 feet north latitude, 75 degrees, 58 feet east longitude. It is on the margin of a small lake in a deep hollow among hills, and its temples, houses, and streets are scattered among the numerous ravines opening on the lake. Comparatively few of its houses are now inhabited, but on every side are to be seen ghastly Hindu aesthetics uh, sitting amid the tombs and ruined houses. Remember, these, these are quite biased, so <laughs> gotta remember that. On the slope of an adjacent hill is the vast and gorgeous Palace of Amber, a building remarkable for its massiveness and solidity. And with that, let's go to break. And welcome back. Our next set of five words, actually our last set of five words for this week, are amber gods, comma, the, or the, the amber gods, amber fish, amberg, ambergris, and amb ambidexter. Okay, and those are our next five words, or last five words. Before we get into that, though, I do have to say that later today, uh, after church, I get to participate in a wonderful meal. I'm so excited. It is time for our church meal. I know it seems like every time you listen to this, I've got a church meal. It, it turns out it's once a week. Not once a week. <laughs> it's not weekly. It's once a month at the beginning of the month. So, I can't wait. Uh, I enjoy eating with everyone. So, it, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, but yeah, that's what I get to enjoy after this. So, yay, in just a few hours. <laughs> so, woohoo! Alright, so number 26. We are in the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 for the uh, next two. So, numbers 26 and 27. So, we have The Amber Gods, or Amber Gods, comma, The... It's a story by Harriet Prescott Spofford, and it was published in 1863. It is characterized by superb depth and richness of color, like a painting by Titian. An amber amulet or rosary possessing mysterious influences gives the title to the story. If you've ever read that, please let me know. I've got to find it. Um, as I was going through the list of words, I was like, wow, that sounds really neat. Um, but I forgot to look up the book. Um, so I'm definitely, definitely going to look that up. I'm actually, like, starring it and, and stuff. Um, so that way I'll know next time right, to look it up. All right, so number 27 is amber fish. Now, what's funny about this, number 27 was going to be amber insects until I realized that the 1909 covers the insects as well. So that's why I combined it. But there's Amber Fish, so number 27 from, again, the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 is Amber Fish. Any one of a genus of fishes related to the pilot fishes, many species of which are found along our coasts, the most of which are known by other names, the great Amber Fish or Amber Jack is a food fish of some importance in the Gulf of Mexico and the West Indies, reaching a weight of 100 pounds. Others in that region are more commonly known as medregals, and a species of the Pacific coast is the highly prized yellowtail. So that's amberfish. Okay, and let's switch back over to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 for number 28, 29, and 30. So 28 is Amberg, which is an old capital of the Upper Palatinate in Bavaria. 
35 miles east of Nuremberg and 32 north of Raditzbahn, on both sides of the Vils. The ancient walls are now transformed into shady avenues. Amberg is the seat of the Court of Appeal for the district, has a library of 34,000 volumes, which is nothing now, right? Because we've got our phones. Lyceum, an agricultural and industrial school, a house of correction, I like that, house of correction, an arsenal, etc. The principal products are firearms, earthenware, woolen cloths, ironmongery, and beer. It has 14 breweries, a large cattle and swine market, a market for hops, and an important salt trade. Many of the inhabitants are employed as miners in the neighboring mountains. Amberg is well built, and the suburbs are adorned with beautiful gardens and shaded alleys. Population in 1890 was 19,098, and in 1900 it did increase to 22,039. Okay, and number 29 is Ambergris. Ambergris, a fatty substance of an ash gray color with yellow or reddish, um, I'm not sure what that is, stria, stria I don't know, stria, like those of marble, which is found in lumps from half an ounce in weight to 100 pounds and upwards, floating on the sea or cast upon the seashore in different parts of the world, and is also taken by whale fishers from the bowels of the Spermaceti well. Much ember. Greece is obtained from the coasts of the Bahama Islands. It is also brought from different parts of the East Indies and the coasts of Africa and Brazil. It is probable that all of it is produced by Spermaceti well and that it is a morbid secretion in the intestinal canal of that animal derived from the bile. It is highly valued upon account of its agreeable smell and is much used in perfumery. Ooh, so you're like putting bile on you. (laughs) or at least in the early 1900s, the price is about 20s, 20s an ounce. I'm not sure what that is. It has been strongly recommended for medicinal use, but is scarcely employed in Europe, although in some parts of Asia and Africa it is much used as a medicine, and also in cookery as a condiment. The specific gravity of ambergris is scarcely more than 0.9. It is or 0.9. It's not really a point there. It's it's a little dot in the middle, but it's up. It's closer to the top instead of the bottom. It almost always contains black spots, which appear to be caused by the presence of beaks of the sepia octopedia, the principal food of the sperm city well. It consists, or let's just say sperm well. <laughs> it consists in great part, 85%, of a peculiar brilliant white crystalline substance called embrine, which is obtained from it by treating it with alcohol. Okay, there we go. So entry number 30 before we go this week is ambidexter. It's a noun, one who uses both hands alike, a double dealer. So that's neat, a double dealer. I do try to use my left hand. Uh, I try as much as my right. So ambidextrous, which is what we're used to saying, or at least what I'm used to hearing, uh, is an adverb able to use either hand double dealing deceitful Ooh, that's a good word for any writer out there evidextrously adjective okay and with that we're, we're pretty much done um, with the words before we go though just a couple of reminders don't forget mother's day is next sunday so don't don't forget that and um we also we've got a new month Um, which is a new quote, and that is by George Santayana. A man may not always eat and drink what is good for him, but it is better for him and less ignominious to die of the gout freely than to have a censor officially appointed over his diet, who, after all, could not render him immortal. And with that, I hope you all have a blessed week. Thank you again for listening. I appreciate every single one of you. And if you are a new listener, please continue to listen. Uh, My regular and new listeners alike, please drop me a line. Again, my email address is mandyoaks at protonmail.com. Or you can go to my website, theoaktreejourneys.com. And expect some new things coming to theoaktreejourneys.com. Or at least new new, new to... uh, to those who visited in the past. And with that, I bid you adieu.